I'm on the ride of a lifetime. I'm on a ship that's sailing to uncharted shore, and I won't be coming back here anymore. I'm on a wave. I'm on a mountain. I'm on a roller coaster sailing across the sky, and the only trouble is in wondering why. Live from the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah, this is Heart of the Matter, where our aim is to help all people worship God in spirit and in truth. I'm your host, Sean McCraney. Uh, I want to begin tonight's program with some reiterations. I think they're going to be important as we continue on with uh, this set of messages for the next few weeks. If you came or to our Sunday gatherings uh, here in Salt Lake City, you would discover that our weekly focus is on the Word of God in its entirety when we can and from the best con contextual view that we can muster. This approach is paramount in the lives, uh, in our lives and in the ministry as we try to reach people. I do not want this fact to be lost amidst all the uh, uh, ancillary information that we discuss on this show. Uh, and when I say ancillary, I mean uh, any disputable doctrine or teaching or practice uh, that is not or that is outside of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and the command to love God and our fellow man. To these other things which we discuss, uh, are those other things are absolute non-essentials, the stuff we cover on the show for the most part, in the realm of what Christianity boils down to. I hope you heard me. I don't believe anything truly matters when it comes to opinion on doctrine or ideas, uh, but faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and love for God and man. Faith and love, faith and love, faith and love, any way you say it. Uh, if someone professes Jesus as Lord and Savior and loves God and man, I consider them and their professions as valid. With them as my brother or sister, they're welcome, in my life at least. They may fail in their faith. They may fail sometimes in the love that they're supposed to have. They may profess all sorts of crazy ideas. Uh, they may be Calvinists. They may be dogmatists. They could be legalists. They might be Mormons. They might be Catholics, Baptists, Methodists, Humanists, Seventh-day Adventists. They might come to campus. Uh, but if they profess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, the author and finisher of their faith, and they truly uh, say, I've been born again, I'm not in the position to challenge that. I, I might challenge if they say, well, I believe this about Christ or something. I would say, well, let's talk about that. But in terms of their own respect, and this has always been the case. If you go back to our first show, 
back in 2006, it's always been the case. If you individually say that you are a Christian born again, I'm not going to challenge that. And we said that to, to the LDS forever. You know, God does the converting and it's in his hands. It's not upon us to have to. Doctrine divides and none of us have all of them right. Nobody on this earth has all of it correct. And so if that's the case, which it is, then the only approach, knowing that we see through a glass darkly still, uh, is to love each other. Uh, and as the bumper sticker says, you know, back the blank off. Um, so those who, who hate and attack and malign me and my ideas, even call me names, suggest I don't, I'm not a Christian, I don't have faith in Christ, I refuse to hold any animus for them. Uh, I love them. Uh, I choose to follow the example of our Lord, love people who despitefully use us with all my heart. So I hope this is clearly understood as we move forward this year in 2015 and really are going to talk about some things that you're going to say, okay, well, you know, let's try to understand what's being said here. With that, let's have a word of prayer. Lord, uh, we petition you here and we pray that you will send your spirit to be with us in abundance and bless those who are involved in this ministry. Bless those who are searching for truth. Help the suffering. Help people who feel alienated from you or from their fellow man. And uh, use this program to help people to kind of shine a light into their hearts and minds and see where they are relative to you. So we pray for this, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. A second thing I want to reiterate before we begin talking about the Bible is my absolute love, uh, adoration, so to speak, for the Bible. And this is not rhetorical. I think I have evidenced this love over the amount of time that I have tried to be in the Word because I love it. And how it is my source to understand God's will is His Word. I am, I am steeped in it. This is, this is my Bible, and I'm showing it to you, but I just, I, I'm, I'm in this book all the time because I love it so much. Why do I love the Bible? Um, above all books I have ever read, and I've read a couple in my life, um, I love the Bible because it's composed in real time. It was composed in real time by real people reporting both real history real events, many of them ugly, some of them horribly ugly. The Bible doesn't hold back on that. And written in conjunction with the Spirit of God, its settings are not metaphorical. Most of the time, most of it are not metaphorical settings, nor are they the product of imaginary minds. All the contributing books are founded in real brick and mortar and real flesh and blood and real issues between God who loves us, and fallen man who constantly fails. And so I love the Bible because while I believe men wrote the Bible using their own minds that God gave them to conjure up the word choices they were going to use and to pull from the illustrations that they would pull from, I simultaneously believe that God inspired their minds, God breathed into their hearts and minds to write on the topics that they were addressing. So I therefore find the narrative God-breathed, meaning inspired. And as a result, I'm inspired when I read it and I hear it taught. And these inspirations help me overcome my flesh in which I reside, which is completely corrupt. 
and nothing good in me at all. These inspired words help wash away the former Sean McCraney, the self that's in me, and regenerate dead concepts of my flesh to living ones of the Spirit. I believe there's power in the Word of God as the messages are applied by the Holy Spirit to the souls of human beings. I'm certain that this type of transforming, transfiguring power uh, can only be had by those who consider the Bible's contents by the Spirit of God. To read it without the Spirit is just intellectualism. And you have all, we have plenty of that, plenty of ivory tower thoughts of what the Bible means. And to read and, uh, just by the Spirit or to think you can walk just by the Spirit without the Word of God, then you have all kinds of machinations of, of all sorts about what is truth and what is not. I don't think there is any power in the ink and paper and in the printed words themselves, none at all. Uh, but by and through the Bible, the Holy Spirit, the Bible's multiplicity of messages are full of life-changing power to regenerate lives for the better. So therefore, I view the Bible as beneficial to all human uh, kind in all of its forms. And though the words themselves, while begging for study and examination, do not have the capacity to redirect lives, when they're combined again with the Holy Spirit, they serve a mighty purpose in God's plan of redeeming all mankind. I accept the Bible as sufficient to teach all men what God wants us to understand about him and about ourselves. I believe it is a perfect book in the sense that it is complete. Uh, my understanding of this might differ from others because I believe whatever a person happens to be reading at the time in their life in the Bible is therefore perfect for them at that time. I'm not talking about relativism, but I am talking about God and his word and Holy Spirit working with the individual at whatever level they're at. And so therefore, their understanding at whatever they're at is perfect for them at that time. So in that sense, there is somewhat of a relativism going on when it comes to reading and understanding the, the Bible. So in other words, whether a babe in Christ or a mature believer or the most spiritually elevated soul, when they're reading the book, the words with the Spirit work within them for them to understand according to their ability and maturity in the Word. And this view allows us to accept babes in Christ and how they see things in the Word, and mature believers in Christ and how they see things in the Word, and people who are a little bit more out there, who may have been around a while or may have been in the Word, really into it, and the way they see it, to me, it's all okay. So where many debates on translations and manuscript evidence and word choice and the Greek and the Hebrew and the books that have been included in the Bible as compared to the books that were rejected, I believe God has provided us with a remarkable book, unlike any other, uncontested when it comes to influence and power. Now, what would you think of me if after saying all that, and I meant every word I said, that I also added that I personally think the book of Revelation shouldn't be in the Bible. Uh-oh. That is a shot across the bow of all modern evangelicalism, and it gets people lighting their torches and getting ready to, to, to crucify the person who said it. Would it shock you? Does it make you angry? 
Does it cause you to say, I'm never tuning into him again? He took a book of the Bible and he said, he doesn't think that it really has that much merit. How could he? Who does he think he is? Well, start turning the channel if that's your idea, because that is my opinion. I accept revelation and I read it. I do appeal to its contents. I'll teach what it has to say. I agree with what it has to say. But I have that opinion because it was written for the seven churches specifically for that exact time and their circumstances. It says it in the beginning because it deals with events that I believe were related to Christ coming in 70 AD and warnings to them about that. And because it has caused more people who are Christians to get so wrapped up in trying to understand its obscure contents that its value is not as great as the other books in the Word, in my opinion. And I even wonder if the body would have been better off without it. I mean, look how much has gone on to falsely interpret the book of Revelation from David Koresh at Waco. That was his favorite book, you know. And to the millions of dollars that have been spent on books, all falsely and wrongly describing what Revelations is teaching us, to the movies that have been made, <clears throat> all based on private interpretation. And I just can't see it as being of great of value in the spiritual growth and maturity and the body of Christ representing to the rest of the world as books like Romans and Galatians and First and Second Corinthians. Am I less of a Christian because I think such a thing? Am I not to be trusted? Having heard this opinion, do you automatically reject me as a viable Christian? Am I not your brother because I have stated this? Many would reject me. Many do reject me. Many will reject me for saying this amidst other things. But here's the point I'm trying to make, the question I'm trying to get answered. While admitting that the Bible contains the word of God is the word of God that is sufficient to lead all men to truth, how emphatic are we to be about its contents as we have it now? I know what people say, but where is the reasonable line? In other words, are we supposed to take it and really try to enforce every single thing that's in it, all the tenets involved? Are we supposed to dogmatically insist that what it says, and that's a lot, what it says must be followed? Is that what we say now? Is this the new law carved into paper instead of stone that we hold up? Is that what it's about? Can we differ as to the content of the Bible? We certainly differ about its meaning. I mean, the denominations are all at each other's throats doctrinally and theologically because of meaning. So can we debate on content even? Or is that just forbidden? No, no, no. You, that, the Bible is the word of God and it is what it is and that is how it has stood and that's how it's been set up and you better knock it off because you're going down the road of heresy again. Is that what we say? In other words, is the Bible to be spiritually understood or physically applied to everybody? Which one is it? Is it both? Was the founder of Mormonism, Joseph Smith, so wrong when he said, we believe the Bible to be the word of God as far as it's translated correctly? Now, I used to think this was the worst possible thing that Smith did was to say that. I'm not sure saying that was the worst thing. I think the LDS response to that line has been terrible because they've essentially used that line and discounted its value. 
but I don't know, you know. I mean, aren't there Bible translations out there that as Christians we would say, run from that? Like the modern hippie word, I mean, or whatever it is. Wouldn't, aren't there some translations where we too would say, you know, I love the Bible as far as the translation's good. We have people who say it's King James only. And they are so dogmatic on that that they will literally say, some of them, you're not a Christian if you don't read the King James. So maybe Smith was referring to things like that. So how are we to view and use and apply the contents of this wonderful, beautiful, God-breathed, inspired book into our lives? Literally, exactly, figuratively, as representative stories of communal good as a thousand plus pages of demands that have to be kept is the book a collection of these demands and instructions to be observed and enforced or do they merely point to principles of faith and principles of love that the holy spirit takes those principles into our hearts and the holy spirit guides according to what the words in the ink and on the paper say. Some of you have recoiled at my views of the book of Revelation that I've said tonight. Would it surprise you to learn that the founder of the Protestant Reformation, Revolution, Martin Luther, felt the exact same way? Would that surprise you? And not just about Revelation, but Hebrews, and, and about James and Jude, and some of the, a couple of John's epistles. This is what Luther said about James and Jude. Though this epistle of St. James was rejected by the ancients, talking about the early church fathers, I praise it and consider it a good book because it sets up no doctrines of men but vigorously promulgates the law of God. However, to state my own opinion about it, though without prejudice to anyone, I do not regard it as a writing of an apostle and my reasons follow. In the first place, it is flatly against St. Paul and all the rest of Scripture in ascribing justification to works. It says that Abraham was justified by his works when he offered his son Isaac. Though in Romans 4.22, St. Paul teaches that the contrary, St. Paul teaches to the contrary that Abraham was justified apart from works by his faith alone before he offered his son and proves it by Moses in Genesis 15.6. Although it would be possible to save the epistle by a gloss, giving a correct explanation of justification here ascribed to works, it is impossible to deny that it does refer to Moses' words in Genesis 15, which speaks not of Abraham's work, but of his faith, just as Paul makes plain in Romans 4, to Abraham's works. This fault proves that the epistle is not the work of any apostle. If it's not apostolically written... We know it's no good. Ask Norman Geisler, Dr. Norman Geisler. In the second place, its purpose is to teach Christians, but in all this long teaching, it does not once mention the passion, the resurrection, or the spirit of Christ. He names Christ several times. However, he teaches nothing about him, but only speaks of general faith in God. Now, it is the office of a true apostle to preach of the passion and resurrection and office of Christ and to lay the foundation for faith in him, as Christ himself says in John 15, 27, you shall bear witness of me. All the genuine sacred books agree in this, that all of them preach and inculcate, tribin, that's a, a German word, Christ. 
And this is the true test by which to judge all books, when we see whether or not they inculcate Christ. For all the scriptures show us Christ, Romans 3.21 and St. Paul will know nothing but Christ, 1 Corinthians 2.2. 2. Whatsoever does not teach Christ is not yet apostolic, even though St. Peter or St. Paul does the teaching. Again, whatever preaches Christ would be apostolic, even if Judas, Annas, Pilate, and Herod were doing it. That's a pretty big stretch. But this James does nothing more than drive to the law and its works. Besides, he throws things together so chaotically that it seems to me he must have been some good, pious man who took a few sayings from the disciples of the apostles and tossed them off on paper. Or it may perhaps have been written by someone on the basis of his preaching. He calls the law a law of liberty, James 1.25, though Paul calls the law of slavery, of wrath, of death, and of sin. Moreover, he cites the sayings of St. Peter. Love covers a multitude of sins. And again, humble yourselves under he had of God. Also the sayings of St. Paul in Galatians, the spirit lusts against envy. And yet, in point of time, St. James was put to death by Herod in Jerusalem before St. Peter. So it seems that this author came long after St. Peter and St. Paul. In a word, he, James, wanted to guard against those who relied on faith without works, but was unequal to the task in spirit, thought, and words. He mangles the scripture and thereby opposes Paul in all scripture. That last line was removed in his post-1830 translation of the Bible. He tries to accomplish by harping on the law what the apostles accomplished stimulate by stimulating people to love. Therefore, I cannot include him in the chief books though I would not thereby prevent anyone from including or extolling him as he pleases, for there are otherwise many good sayings in him. Therefore, I will not have him in my Bible to be numbered among the true chief books. And he didn't. He kept it out. Though I would not thereby prevent anyone from including or extolling him as he pleases, for there are otherwise many good sayings in him. One man is no man in worldly things. How then should this single man alone prevail against Paul and all scripture? Concerning the epistle of St. Jude, no one can deny that it is an extract or copy of St. Peter's second epistle. So very like it are all the words. He also speaks of the apostles like a disciple who comes along after them and cites sayings and incidents that are found nowhere else in Scripture. This moved the ancient fathers to exclude this epistle from the main body of Scripture. Moreover, the apostle Jude did not go to Greek-speaking lands but to Persia, as it is said, so that he did not write Greek. Therefore, although I value this book, it is an epistle that need not be counted among the chief books which are supposed to lay the foundations of faith. So, that is from the founder of the Reformation. He essentially just took, and he did it with Hebrews and Revelation, he just chopped out four books of the New Testament. Okay? Did you know that? It's important that you know that. So you realize not only the idea of the freedom to express one's opinion in the body, and that this book, while it is definitely the Word of God, that we can critically look at it 
and we can examine how we're taking it today. If Luther can say that books in here that I love, Hebrews, Jude, James, not Revelation, but three of the four, I love, if he can say they're garbage, and I can still say Luther's my brother, do you understand what we're talking about here? In the age of dogmatism and ivory tower intellectuals who are slamming down anybody's freedom to speak about such things? If I said these things today that Luther said, the self-appointed defenders of faith, these apologists would have my head. And of course the reply would be, well, listen, Sean McCraney, you are not Martin Luther. To which I would remind them that there's not one bit of difference between what saved Martin Luther and what saved me. And there's not one bit of difference between Luther's authority and mine. And there's not one bit of difference between Luther as a fallen man and me as a fallen man. In fact, there's no, not one bit of difference between Luther and any other human being who has accepted Christ Jesus as Lord and Savior. Not one bit, my friends. So if you want to hold him up as we look to this man and he has the right, then all men have the right, you see. We are all members of the same body, baptized in the, by the same spirit into one body. And we have one head, one brain, one leader, and that is Christ Jesus. For reasons unknown to me, we have allowed ourselves to believe somehow that all the free thought must be quelled that questioning and criticism of modern approaches to Christianity must be condemned and that the contents of this book are, are not only concrete, but they are used to kill and crush anyone who questions them or talks about them out loud. Now, what would be the reception of me tonight if I said, you know, there's some other books that I think should have been included in the Bible. Oh, well, I think the Gospel of Thomas should have been included in the Bible. <gasps> now, I don't believe that at all, but let's just say for argument's sake, I did. Well, the EV fundies would cry, first you want to take away from the Bible by getting rid of Revelation, and now you want to add to it? This guy is utterly fallen. He is completely gone, and so what we do is we chop and we remove, and that's what Christianity and uh, Zealot Christians have been doing, chopping and removing instead of allowing people to grow together. And that's why we have this narrow, pinch-nosed view of what Christianity is. And anyone who's against it or doesn't walk with it is excluded from the body by these people who think they have the right to take someone who loves the Lord, who, who worships God in spirit and in truth, and, sit and attack them constantly, you see. We can imagine the assassinations that would follow. But again, did you know that Luther, while removing four books like James and Jude and, and, and Hebrews and Revelation from his Bible, he included a whole bunch of other ones? No, you gasp. Yes. So on the one hand, Luther had what he called the antilogomena, and that are books that are not part of Scripture. Hebrews, James, Jude, and Revelation. Those are, they're called Luther's Antilogomena, okay? And on the other hand, he included what are called the Deuterocanonical books in his Bible translation. So to put it simply, these are books that were not added or included in the Hebrew Bible, the Torah, the Tanakh. The, the Jews did not include these books. 
But Luther said they belong in there. And so he included them in his Old Testament. The books that are included by the Hebrews are called the proto-canonical books. Well, he took the deuterocanonical books, which are the book of Tobit, Judith, additions to Esther, wisdom of Solomon, wisdom of Jesus ben Syra, Baruch, including the letter of Jeremiah, and then additions to Daniel included the prayer of Azariah and the song of the three holy children, Susanna, Bell and the dragon, first and second Maccabees, and he included those in the Bible that he uses. So, now, what if I got up here today and said, you know, I really think you're going to get a lot of inspiration if you take some time to study Bell and the Dragon, because it's an inspiring book. Again, the pinch-nosed evangelical apologists in their ivory towers and with their PhDs who call themselves reverends and doctors would stand up to defend the faith and the masses would fall in behind them. Yes, we are going to defend Christ. Not even realizing what Luther, the, you'd still be Catholic if it wasn't for him, did in, in opening this subject up. And you see, that's what it's about. We can open it up. Why can we open it up and talk about anything? Because the Holy Spirit is in those who love the Lord. And men do not have to fear anything that we talk about. The Holy Spirit is working and guiding. We have the word that we have. We can dispute it. You can seal up Revelation, say, I'm not going to read it. That's your, you know, if someone came to campus, I'm never going to read Re That's fine. There's people who come to church every week. They go to church every week of their life, and they never even open the book let alone de debate over what should be in it and shouldn't be in it. Where is our focus? We have to address this stuff because if we don't, we're never going to be equipped to handle people who are coming in from other faiths when they realize those faiths have been wrong. We are going to continue to stand on tradition, and when smart people question what is being done, we're not going to have answers for them. So this is a means by which we can start to look for some real answers to people. So, I bring all this out to pull back on the dogmatic positions we have taken in the body relative to the word, to relax a bit on concrete stances. We insist upon that others say and that we try and understand some things about this Bible that we all love. I, but believe me, I, like that's why I preface this. I love the word of God. I spend so much more of my time in it than anything else. And if we, but if we approach it this way, we're going to have a better love for each other. We're going to have a little bit more peace with each other. And we're going to be able to come around to some common ground. And we're going to be able to agree when other people differ, that they're at a different place. They may be a babe. They may be really, really educated. They may be something else. But all of us can sit in the same room, the same state, the same nation, and say, this is what Christianity is instead of what these policemen have done to the body. Just to clear the air, I'm not suggesting anything unreasonable to Christianity. I love the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, I say that with him hearing, and I love his word. I maintain the fact that he is God incarnate, that he was put to death. He was sinless. He resurrected on the third day. He ascended into heaven. He reigns over his kingdom now spiritually that we are all saved by grace through faith, and that those who are saved will love. 
But I think we need to appeal to all reasonable approaches to everything in Christianity, including our view and our stance and our work within the Bible, as we push toward a more loving faith over what has been heaped upon us by religious tradition that has grown and snowballed into this ugly, black, dirty snowball now that we accept as this is what Christianity is. Demanded doctrines, dogmatism, Biblical dictates arbitrarily stripped out of the Bible, posted on walls of the church, only serve to divide and destroy. I am so convinced of that. There's a better way, and we'll begin by examining the history, the construction, and the stated purposes of the Bible, the manuscripts, the intertestamentary period. We'll look at all of that. We'll look at the, the building blocks of how we got the Bible versions that we have so we can look and see which manuscripts that we've pulled from. And uh, we'll begin to do all that next week. Let's open up the phone lines, 801-590-8413, 801-590-8413. Before we do that, before we do the spot, I'm going to read a quote. You tell me where you think it came from. The quote is this, when the temptation to masturbate is strong, Yell, stop to those thoughts as loudly as you can in your mind. Then recite a portion of the Bible or sing a hymn. Where did that come from? We'll talk about it when you come back. That's from the Mormon Guide to Self-Control. That's a classic, isn't it? Hey, how about some others? James White, Secretary of the Interior during the Reagan years, said this, quote, We don't have to protect the environment. The second coming is at hand. Thank you for that one. Using the second coming to destroy the environment. And I'm not an environmentalist at all. I, uh, this came from, who said this? I called to buy some meth, but I threw it away. Do you know who said that? That was Reverend Ted Haggard when the details begin to emerge about his visits to a male prostitute in 2006. Now listen, we can all fall. I fall daily. Ted Haggard is no worse than me as a man. But the thing is, is the logic. I called to buy some meth, but I threw it away as if, as if he didn't sin. He, 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 it's just why, I mean, why do we do this with each other? I mean, to justify ourselves by our works and our righteousness before God and man, that I did get tempted, I bought it, but I threw it away. Stuff drives me crazy. Pat Buchanan said, our culture is superior. Our culture is superior because our religion is Christianity. 
And that is the truth that makes men free. Now, part of that is true. Christianity, Jesus Christ, is what makes men free. But our culture is superior. Our culture is not superior. Our culture is an amalgamation of a whole bunch of things that have nothing to do with Christianity. Pat Buchanan's trying to make our culture seem like Americana is Christianity. It's not. Christianity, see, God set it up. It works well for anybody, anywhere. It's not Americana. And so, sorry, Pat, that thing makes me crazy. Uh, a speaker at the 1995 convention of U.S. Taxpayers Party, um, he said this. This Christmas, I want you to do the most loving thing, and I want you to buy each of your children SKS rifles and 500 rounds of ammunition. Uh, and then a few months later, Dr. Dobson, he endorsed this man as a candidate for president. His name's Howard Phillips. Uh, his son, Dr. Dobson's son, in his book, To Die For, wrote, Kids today are looking for something to die for. If you give them something to die for, they'll go to the edge of the earth for you. These are Christian witticisms. The logic of the evangelical right. Give them something. How about giving kids something to live for? You know, instead of something to die for, you fanatic. How about giving them something to live for? Like loving life and loving their parents and loving their family and enjoying nature. And, you know, how about a nice restaurant? Do you, do you like that film? What do you think it said about God? That music was great. Does it have to be something to die for? Reverend Furman, Baptist, South Carolina, the right of holding slaves is clearly established in the Holy Scriptures, both by precept and example. That is so sad. You know, we, we can just use our, our, our stuff to mean anything, can't we? Jimmy Swaggart said sex education classes in our public schools are promoting incest. <laughs> Thanks, Jimmy. And, uh, and then... Bryce, excuse me, Bryce Wellington, who we sort of looked up, seems to be a guy who's a Catholic born again, who believes women should be spanked when they're disobedient, said, when you know the Lord, you have no need for masturbation. So stop. Um, I, I don't know what's going on. I don't know how, what we're doing here. Let's go. Oh, where's the phone? We're, you see? These guys make hundreds of thousands of dollars a year to do what they do. I go to simply push the button on the phone and look at it. And then they trip and they, they sue us. <laughs> hey, David, from Mount Vernon, Washington, you're on the air. You bet. Yeah, I've been listening to you for several weeks now, and I, uh, I'm not quite clear on what you believe <laughs> what happens to a person that's unsaved when they die here on earth and where do they go i mean what what is, are you a universalist no 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 good yeah a universalist believes that everyone's saved irregardless and you know jesus didn't matter it can be buddha it can be anyone else never right. never no david i just believe in total reconciliation i think that that god will uh bring about his good will and that is that all men would be saved and but, uh but but after if they don't repent of their sins before they leave this earth, there's, there's no hope. They go to hell. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and hell gives up its dead, Revelation tells no, us. But that, they're, they're there for eternity. It says according to God's word. Yeah. So it's, it's, uh, it's clear. It's, it's crystal clear. No, it's crystal clear to you, David, but, but we, did, we did 
uh, I think, seven shows on this, and we got into the Greek, and we looked at other translations, Young's literal translation, Weymouth's literal translation yeah. of those words that the King James translated to eternal, and they don't, well, they don't mean that, David. Uh, I, don't, I don't read King James. I, I read a more accurate version as uh, NIV. King James is, uh, has nice wording and all, but NIV is more accurate, I think. Well, that's up to debate, but nevertheless, yeah. the, the literal translations take the Greek words and they translate them what the words literally mean consistently through the Bible rather than looking at what a passage says and saying, let's make it say this. And if you do that, David, go back to our archives on HOTM.TV. It'll take you six hours to watch all six or seven shows, but you'll be able to see our arguments. And after you do that call and tell me that I'm completely off my rocker. Yeah, but I, I read God's Word. I don't go by anybody but God's Word. We use. Uh, have, have you ever read the book, uh, Hell Under Fire? No, I only read God's Word. Read that book, Hell Under Fire. It'll make you think. <laughs> no, I really do read God's Word, and I try to use it to support my arguments. I don't use 24 Seconds in Hell or Hell Under Fire or no. any of this. So, David, do me a favor. Just watch those shows. Take notes of where you I think have. I'm... I have. I've studied in depth, and, and uh, it's, you're, you're contrary to God's Word. There's no hope for, once a person dies here on earth, if he's unsaved, he, he'll never, there's no hope for him. Really? No hope. There's no hope for him, man. It's, it's over. So, so let me ask, let me take you down the philosophical road really quickly, okay? Yeah. Does God know everything? Yes. Did he know everything before he created everything? Yes. Okay. Um, did God send his son to save the world? Yes. Did his son pay for the sins of the whole world? Yes. So God had his son pay for sins, knowing that most of the world wasn't going to accept it. So Jesus suffered for sins that God knew he didn't need to suffer for. Is that correct? Yeah, but it's our choice. We have a no, no, choice. no, wait. Just answer my question. Did God have his son suffer? Now, God is just and no. God is merciful. But God had his son suffer for the sins of men and women who he knew were never going to receive his son? Yeah, but that, see, he gives that, we have a free will. Okay, wait a minute. We're not talking about free will here. I just want to know, did this just and merciful God have his son suffer for the sins of people God knew before they were ever born would never receive his son's atonement? He suffered for the just and unjust. Okay, so I agree with you there. He suffered for the just and unjust. For what end? Let me ask you this. Does God's will, does God always get his will? Is he sovereign? He's sovereign. He's sovereign. Is it God's will that all men would be saved? Yes. Okay, so but, either God gets his will and he's sovereign or he doesn't get his will. Which is but, it? See, it's a choice. It's wait a minute. Wait, no, 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 no. Us. No, wait, David. You're saying that our choice can preempt God's will, that he's not sovereign. Now, he's either sovereign or he's not. Which is it? You know uh, you, you've got mixed up there. You know, we no, wait, no, wait. You've got to answer me. Is God sovereign? You said he is. Yes. You said he wants all to be saved. That's his, that's his express he wants, will. He, wants, he loves. He loves. He them. loves. But you're saying that men and Satan can stop God from getting his sovereign will done. Satan can't stop, man. Nobody can take, uh, take, us, take us Christians out of God's hand except us. Except, except for us, okay? Yep. So you're saying that I have more power to trump God's will than God has power over me in my life. Oh, you, you've 
come up with a really a, a twisted uh, question. No, they're you know? straightforward questions. I just want to know the answer, David. Now, here, let me tell you this. Just let me tell you this. Let me just propose this to you. And if you watch the shows, you'll see this, David. Yes. I believe that unbelievers go to hell. And it's a miserable, terrible place. Unbelievers do go to hell. Just, okay, let me continue. After that, hell gives up its dead, David. And people are judged according to the, yes. their... Yes. People are, okay, and then they're thrown into the lake of fire. Do you know where that place, that lake of fire is, David? That's hell. No, it's not hell. Hell gives up its dead, David. Do you know where the lake of fire is located, David? Uh, nobody knows. Yes, they do know. It's in Revelation, David. You study the Bible, not books, right? In the book yes. of Revelation, David, in the book of Revelation... David, in the book of Revelation, it tells us that the lake of fire is in the presence of the Lamb and his holy angels. Did you know that? Uh, yeah, I don't, I'll have to look at that. Yeah, look at that, and then let me read this to you from Scripture. Now, if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest for the right. day... This, let me finish. Uh-huh. For the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. Listen, if any man's work abide, which he have built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Yet well, you, so as by fire they will be saved. So, so you believe that after, after the judgment, people will be released from hell? Hell gives up its dead. I believe that after a time in whatever that means. Oh, ages, my. Oh, my. Oh, oh that's, that's, um, okay. oh, no. What you're I'm saying. Sorry. I'm sorry, but I'm going to have to read that. I'm going to have to talk to my brother. My brother's a theologian, and, and um, I'll get back with you and uh, get you an email. Let me that's ask. That's contrary. That's that's cockeyed, man, dude. Oh, wait a second, David. Oh my! I've heard. I've been a Christian for uh, twenty-five years. I never have heard that doctrine before. I know they never heard Jesus' doctrine either when he taught. And I'm not Jesus, but they said the same thing. You teach. No, but uh, I, I think you should really listen to some uh, some uh, uh, good preaching. Get on the internet and listen to Carter Conlon or David Wilkerson. Oh yeah, those I guys, need to listen to more men, don't I? Huh? I need to listen to more men, don't I? No, but those guys will, are men of God, and they'll, they'll get things straightened out. I believe they're men of God, and I think they need to be straightened out. Okay, okay. Well, thank you. You, have you nice can say evening. that to me, but I can't say it back to you. Bye -bye. It's the way it works in this game. You know, if you have a differing opinion than the masses, you need to be straightened out. I mean, aren't you glad Luther didn't say that? Aren't you glad John the Baptist didn't say that? Aren't you glad Jesus didn't say that? You know, but swim a little bit against the grain, and suddenly I need to listen to what the map made to appease everybody's tastes. You want the music that you love, whether it be jazz or rock or punk or classical. You want that music. Elevator music is made so that everyone doesn't really have to have an opinion. They can just sit there and say, this appeases me while I go up and down. Well, I like passion, and I like to find out things are true or not by the word. So, David, I just challenge you to do the same, please. Let's go to Jason, Ontario, Canada, line three. Jason, you're on Heart of the Matter. Oh, hi. Um, I'm relatively kind of a new watcher of the show, and I haven't really watched a whole lot of your newer stuff because I 
been kind of slowly working from the beginning and stuff. But I've got a quote here that um, that you know, based on the little bit of the newer stuff I've seen, that you might find. I don't like you might have heard it already. I don't know, but it's interesting. It goes um, in the beginning, the church was a fellowship of men and women centered on the living Christ. Then the church moved to Greece, where it became a philosophy. Then it moved to Rome, where it became an institution. Next, it moved to Europe, where it became a culture. And then finally, it moved to America, where it became an enterprise. Wow. Who said that? Um, a, a Richard Halverson. Wow, what a beautiful quote. Really? Yeah, like I... I, I read this like a couple of years ago and then I heard some of the things you were talking about and I'm like, this fits pretty well. That is a great quote, Jason. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. Richard Halverson. Thank you so much, my brother. Yep. Okay, bye-bye. Yeah, was... right. Oh, you have more? Oh, no. No, well, not yet anyway. I'll... I might call back later when my voice decides to come back and work properly. Yeah. Okay, bye-bye. You know, uh, I believe, and this is a different little view, and I could be wrong, but I believe that when Jesus told the apostles that he would establish his church and the gates of hell would not prevail against it, I believe the gates of hell tried. And I think it tried all during the Judaizers who were coming in and trying to rip the church apart, the Roman soldiers. And I believe that when Jesus came in 70 AD, he grabbed his church and he saved it from that pit. And I think from that point, the church has been in the hands of of Satan. I think church, now not the body of Christ, make sure you hear me clearly. I think institutional religion has been in his power. And I think that it takes individuals to rise through the ceiling of Catholicism and Mormonism and campus and and every church. You've got to have the personal relationship. You've got to be born again. You've got to do your thing to search out the scriptures yourself. You can't appeal like David said to his brother-in-law who's a theologian or to this pastor or that pastor. Don't ever trust me. I am wrong so much you die. So, and you know, I got I get make fun of that for admitting that. I am wrong. So what? I'm a man. You're wrong too. But the Holy Spirit is not. And we will be responsible for our Christian walk. You are not going to be able to point at me and say Sean McCraney taught me wrong and told me to follow him because I'm not telling you that. I'm telling you to seek it out. We're going to differ. I promise you that. I differ with probably most of the people that come to our church on Sundays. We have a lot of things. I, can, I, I know that, and they express those things to me. But if we don't have the ability to talk about this stuff and bring it on the table and love each other amidst it, we are nothing. We, we can have all knowledge. Without love, we have nothing. We can have faith to move mountains, not love. We have nothing. Love has died in this evangelical church. It's become an institution like the guy, like uh, our friend just read uh, from that Halverson or whatever. It's become an enterprise here. And that's a business. And that means conform or be cast out. And that's the opposite of what Jesus established. Jesus said, you guys aren't conforming to anything. Come in, sit with me. You sinners, I wanna help you. I wanna help you have life and have it more abundantly. We need to change on it. Uh, Just to let you know, I'm gonna read some quotes. This is from a deliverance minister, what he said about his own interaction with Leviathan. Leviathan is a spirit I have battled 
as well. It was a hard battle, but was won. It was about four months ago, my wife and I were in McDonald's and we're having a conversation with an angel and Leviathan had come up. I told the angel that I wanted to fight this demon and he said, I could. On the way back to the hotel, I asked the angel if I could bring the demon to a predestined place and he said, yes. I figured that since Leviathan was from the depths of the sea, he would be used to cold water, so I filled the tub up with scalding hot water and blessed the water. The angels, there were two now, brought Leviathan bound to the tub and fought with me. We pulled our swords from our hips and began running this demon through with all of our strength and everything I had. I would say it took at least a half an hour or more. We were all spent, but the battle was won. Accepted Christian rhetoric? Is this at the other end? Another, another place? This is from Ronald W., who provides insight as a Christian on, on a parent's responsibility to break the will of a child. When should a parent start, quote, when should a parent start using the rod of correction on a child that the Lord has brought into the family? There is no clear and specific answer to this very good question. However, it is my opinion that the correction of children should start as soon as the need for that correction is made manifest. Every discerning parent who has been blessed with a little child in his home realizes that his initial impression of sweetness and innocence of the child is in reality an illusion. The child very quickly becomes, demonstrates his fallen, depraved nature and reveals himself to be a selfish little beast in manifold ways. As soon as the child begins to express his own self-will, and this occurs early in life, that child needs to receive correction. My wife and I have a general goal to make sure that each of our children has his will broken by the time he reaches the age, age of one year. To this, a child must receive correction when he is a small infant. Every parent recognizes that this self-will begins early as he has witnessed his child stiffen his back and boldly demonstrate his rebellion and self-will even though he has been fed and diapered and cared for in every other physical way. Okay, I'm going to address something this last, this last moments of the show. Uh, something's come to my attention, and I see a cycle, and, and I'll just share it with you. It ties right into that last quote by that Christian pastor who believes we, it's our duty to break the will of our children when they're infants. Have it, have, break their will by the time they're one. Um, this is the problem of this, this crazy, this crazy misapplied application of things in this book. This is, this book is wonderful. It is tremendous, but, but it's like, it's like anything that is tremendous. If it's used the wrong way, it will destroy people. I know several people in the state who are so zealous in their Mormonism that they have pushed their children right into the Christian arms. And I know people who are so zealous in their Christianity, their children become Latter-day Saints. They are so full of being right and having the right stance and being, and being so distant from the heart of children and family that they beat them with this book and their children actually go and they've been raised in Christian homes supposedly. They go and they join the very religion that their fathers and mothers have warned them against. Why does this happen? 
it happens when we start to do things like this and we lose the love. Christianity is not about being right on everything. It's not about this proper, perfect doctrine that we can tell our children they have to obey all of this. It is about teaching Jesus and loving them and loving others. I've had to repent. I've had to change because I have been so harsh. And, I, and, and Scripture says the, the, the anger of man does not accomplish the righteousness of God. I've had to repent over that because I've seen that the destruction that it brings. So just to wrap it up, the clarion call is back off on zealotry. Back off on your kids who are wayward or who don't understand Jesus yet, who are LDS or, or whatever. Back off and, and love them. Be Jesus to them. Show Jesus in your life to your family. Don't break them with the law of the New Testament. And you'll get so much further along in your life and with your family and with the people that you lead. And I'm talking to Christian leaders as well as, as, as people who sit in the pews. Uh, so many things uh, on here. We got a time, Derek? Two minutes left. I was going to read on International Castration Day. Won't do that. Uh, I was going to read on this and that. Hold on. Just leave you with something good. Um... Something good. Uh, here's, here's a short debate online. A person wrote, The Hebrews crossed the Sea of Reeds. Most Jews agree on this. After all, the first five books are theirs. The Pentateuch, first five books. That's what the person posted. The Christian wrote back, response, The first five books are theirs? Um, no. Moses was a Christian. Sorry. <laughs> I hope you're enjoying these things because uh, I mean, we laugh and, and, and we get it, but man, we just, I just hope we can back up. Next week, we're going to get into some great stuff. We're going to use the board and show some of the ways the Bible has come about. Good stuff, but it will also help us see what we're dealing with and how to use it properly, I think. And we'll see you next week here on Heart of the Matter. I'm on a ride, going nowhere I am an existential cowboy on the wind And I won't be coming out, I'm going in This man's awake a storm's arising, the dawn's awaiting till a hundred monkeys know. And I can feel the